Well, you know what? I'm guessing uh, everybody in here has probably heard that phrase. You got to pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. That's right. You know, that's, that, that idea is there. It's, a, it's an inspiring, it's an encouragement that, man, if somebody's going to fix your situation, if somebody's going to better the condition you're in, man, you got to do that yourself. You got to pick yourself up by the bootstraps. I think that's a hilarious statement because, you know, it's actually, it's impossible. I mean, somebody's encouraging me to better my situation, and they use a phrase that's impossible to do. Now, some of you may not be familiar with boots here in Virginia. I understand that. So I'm going to help you understand this a little bit. Uh, by the way, you, you wear red socks when you have boots on. That's why they go up high. Okay, now this is a, this is a boot. This is a boot strap. Can y'all see that? Okay. Praise God for the youth. Thank you all very much. Of course, you're the only ones that are close enough to see. Yeah, that's a bootstrap. Boots come with a bootstrap. They're good for pulling the boot on. Wonderful tool. However, it is impossible to pull yourself up by the bootstraps. Now, I can, I can grab my bootstraps and I can hop around. That looks, looks kind of stupid, doesn't it? Yeah, thank you, Dale. I knew you'd like that. Yeah, you can hop, but you cannot actually pull yourself up by the bootstraps. That is an impossibility. And if you think about it, if I actually got myself up by the bootstraps, you know where I'm going next, don't you? Face plant right into the ground. Yeah, that, that would be fun and entertaining, wouldn't it? You know, it, it might be interesting to think about that phrase as an encouragement. It might be entertaining to see somebody try to do that. But I'll tell you what's not entertaining. I'll tell you what is quite frustrating is to live a bootstrap theology. And I believe that happens, I, I think I can say, to all believers. And for different reasons, for different amounts of time, we end up living a bootstrap theology. We come to, we come to Christ, and, and we're in love, and we're excited, and, and man, we've got a, a, a Bible, and we're coming to church, and, and as we go into that Bible, and as we go to church, man, we learn there are some things that we're supposed to do. But, but we don't do all those things, do we? And, and as we're in the Bible and as we're going to church, we learn that there are some things we are not supposed to do. But we're doing some of those things. And so here we've begun this, this new journey, this, this faith in Christ, and it's almost completely lived with just a little tinge of guilt, a, a little tinge of failure almost all the time. Because we know, man, there's things I should be doing, there's things I shouldn't be doing, and I, and I am. And so we live with a little bit of that guilt, and periodically we go along and maybe we hear a sermon or we read something, or maybe we're just praying in God's Word, and, and we get inspired again, and we get zealous again, and we think, okay, I'm, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this this time. And, and we gear all up, man, I'm going to live holy this week, and I, I spend time in God's Word every morning, and I pray, and, and I don't give that person a good cussing. And they had a good cussing coming. You know the person I'm talking about? But I didn't do it. I didn't do it. And, and I didn't commit that sin. Don't we all have a that sin? And we invited somebody to church and they came with us. I mean, it, it's a good week. Man, I've been living good for the Lord. And it's, it's seven days and maybe it's ten days. And maybe it's... Well, we inevitably trip, don't we? We inevitably trip. I mean, we're trying hard, we're working hard, but then, then the trip comes. Maybe we live a week, maybe two, maybe three weeks, no trip. But then all of a sudden, we can end up with five, ten, fifteen trips in two days. And so here comes the guilt. Here, here comes the, the frustration. 
And, and in this position, it's very difficult to have a relationship with the Lord because either one, we're going to be ashamed to look at him because we know we're always failing him. Or we're just going to throw in the towel and quit. I mean, what's the point? I mean, I want to and I'm trying to, but it just doesn't ever seem like I can make it happen. I mean, I come to church and I look around and, man, all of you look like you got it figured out. All of you look like you're making it happen. That just makes me feel worse. I mean, I must just be the only one who can't make this thing called the Christian life work. What happened? What happened? Turn with me this morning to Romans chapter 7. Romans chapter 7. If you don't have a, a Bible with you, we've got some in the chairs in front of you that you can reach or maybe have somebody hand to you. Romans chapter 7. Boy, it feels good to say Romans. It's been a long time. Matter of fact, I'm so excited to be back to Romans. I brought Rome here with us today. Isn't this nice? Yeah, these are real rocks. They were incredibly heavy for me to get in here. Whoop, you didn't see that, did you? That rock. Uh, Romans chapter 7. You know, we began a series uh, in Romans, I, I think it was last spring. And uh, we are now six chapters and 20 messages into our study of this letter. But we, we took a little break. December 11th was the last time that we were in Rome. We did some Christmases, Christmas messages. And we came back and started the new year with a, a little series there. But we're back and I don't foresee any big hiatus until we hopefully press on to the finish line in this letter. But since it has been a while since we've been in it, I thought what I might do is just read a couple of verses. Just to kind of, uh, before we get to Romans 7, just kind of give us a little bit of flavor of where we've been, remind ourselves of, of some of the things that we've heard. So just listen to this for a moment. I'm going to be reading reading uh, today out of the New Living Translation. It might sound a little different than what you're reading out of, but I think if you'll listen closely, read closely, it's gonna, it's gonna, you're going to see it's going to be the same. Romans 1.16 first. It says, For I'm not ashamed of this good news about Christ. Man, it, it's the power of God at work, saving everyone who believes, Jews first and also Gentiles. This good news tells us how God makes us right in His sight. This is accomplished from start to finish, by faith. As the Scriptures say, it is through faith that a righteous person has life. Romans chapter 3, verse 23, I think a, a verse a lot of us are familiar with. It says, for all have sinned, all fall short of God's glorious standard. Romans chapter 4, verse 5, a, a, a pivotal verse, a key verse to really understanding the theme and the message of Romans it says there, but people are declared righteous. You're declared in right standing with God. You're okay with God. People are declared righteous because of their faith, not because of their work. And then Romans chapter 5, verse 8, great verse says, but God showed His great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. And then Romans chapter 6, verse 11 so you should consider yourselves dead to sin and able to live for the glory of God through Christ Jesus. Man, as we've opened up this great letter, we've learned that God's got the power and the willingness to save you and me. And when I say save us, He's not saving us from a bad life to a better life. He's not saving us from being unsuccessful to being successful. Man, He is saving us from sin and death and hell. He is saving us from a judgment and a wrath to eternal life. And that judgment and that wrath is something that we rightly have coming to us. We might be a good person. We might be doing some good things. As a matter of fact, we learned in Romans 1, 2, and 3. We might be really good intellectually. 
Or we might be really good morally. Or we might be good religiously. But no matter what that goodness is, it doesn't erase the fact that sin is in there. There, there is a poison. Y'all remember the chocolate cake? Some of you were here that day. We saw that it had that chocolate cake. Chocolate, number one favorite cake. Everybody likes chocolate cake. It looks good. It tastes good. Everybody says it is good. But if I put poison in it, it's no good anymore, is it? And we have, not put there by God, we have a poison in us called sin. And so no matter what good we do, that sin is always there. But God. Oh boy, those are two great words in the Bible. But God. I was rebellious. I was sinful, but God, God demonstrated His love. And that demonstration, that demonstration fixed my problem. You you see, in the death of Christ, He paid a penalty that I couldn't pay. In the life, in the resurrection of Christ, I'm afforded a new life right here and now and beyond the grave. And then we come into Romans chapter 6 in this new life. And, and Paul says, man, now I am, I'm dead to God and I am alive. Excuse me. <laughs> I'm dead to sin and alive to God. What great news. Do you feel that way today? Do, do you feel completely dead to sin? That it has no influence, no touch, no effect on your life? I'm, I'm guessing more than one of us in here today would say, I, I don't know that I feel dead to sin. I think it might still be alive a little bit in my life. What happened there? How does that come about? I want to read the testimony of somebody struggling with the idea that, hey, sin's still running around in there a little bit. Look at Romans chapter 7, verse 14. We're going to look at all the chapter, but I'm going to read verse 14 and following of Romans 7. It says, the law is good then. The trouble's not with the law, but with me. Because I'm sold into slavery with sin As my master, I don't understand myself at all, for I really want to do what is right, but I I don't do it. Instead, I do the very thing I hate. I know perfectly well what I'm doing is wrong, and my bad conscience shows that I agree that the law is good, but, but I can't help myself because it's sin inside me that makes me do these evil things. I know I'm rotten through and through, so far as my old sinful nature is concerned. No matter which way I turn, I can't make myself do right. I want to, but I can't. When I want to do good, I don't. And when I try not to do wrong, gosh, I do it anyway. But if I'm doing what I don't want to do, I am not really the one doing it. The sin within me is doing it. It seems to be a fact of life that when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. Gosh, I love God's law with all my heart. But there's another law at work within me that is at war with my mind. This law wins the fight and makes me a slave to the sin that is still within me. Oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin? Oh, thank God. Thank God there's an answer. That answer has a name. The person of Jesus Christ. As we come out of Romans 6, we have twice heard that we are no longer bound To the law. You heard that word a lot in there. We're no longer bound to the law. Now, you and I hear that and we go, well, okay, good. That's cool. But to a Jew, gosh, that would have been revolutionary. The law was was everything they understood about God. The law was the, the way to God. It defined life. I mean, just to say that it's not there. What are you talking about? We're not bound by the law. The law, by the way, is it's the Ten Commandments. 
It's everything in Exodus 20 through the end of Leviticus. A lot of that is repeated again in in Deuteronomy. But the the core of the law, Exodus 20 through the end of Leviticus, it, it defined everything. And Paul says we're no longer bound to that. Well, what does that mean? What, what, what is the law to me then? What is my relationship with the law? Now, if you look down at chapter 7, verse 1. In verses 1 to 6, Paul starts to answer this question about our relationship with the law. And he uses marriage as an illustration. He says, you know what? You're married to the law. Now, when you're married to someone, you're, you're bound to them. You, you, you can't leave them. You, you, you can't do anything differently. If you, if you leave that marriage and marry another, that's adultery is what he says there. So I'm bound to this. Now, if, if, if one of the mate dies, then, then we're no longer bound to marriage laws anymore. We're now freed from that marriage and we can now unite with another. Well, Paul says, just like you would understand that, you were married to the law. And when you, by faith, came into a relationship with Christ, when Christ died for the law, when he died for your sin and rebellion against that law, you died with him. And so now I died to that, I am free to unite with Christ. And in union with Christ, it is now Christ that will carry me to a holy God. He will carry me to a holy life that will help me know and experience that God day in and day out. Now hold on to that idea, because that's really what this is all about. How do I get to God? And how do I get to a holy life that helps me experience that God day in and day out? So we have, we've died to the law, we're freed from that, we, we can unite with Christ. Now, the, 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 the difficulty with that illustration, the kind of the cumbersome of it, is it almost makes the law sound like a bad mate, doesn't it? It makes the law like, you know, somebody you want to get rid of, you want to get divorced from, I don't want to, I don't want to be that anymore. And so in verses 7 to 13, Paul then comes around and says, now the law is not bad. That the law is not an evil that, that we need to get divorced from, that we need to be freed from, that we want to get out from under. Man, the law is holy. The law is just and good. You know, the law tells me, don't murder. Don't lie. Honor your parents. Honor the Sabbath. No, folks, that's good stuff. We need that. We need to know that. But what happens is while the law can tell me that, it can't empower me to live it. You see, the law, the law is good in that if you were going to try to make yourself holy, that'd be the bootstraps. The, the bootstraps by which you would pick yourself up and make yourself holy would be the law. But that's impossible, isn't it? You see why the law can tell me, Randy, don't lie. It can't empower me to tell the truth. As a matter of fact, all the law really ends up doing at that point is just pointing out, Randy, you're a liar. You know, the law is a little bit like, uh, I guess in that way, it's like a doctor or, or an MRI. Now, you, you know anybody that says, you know, I don't go to the doctor and I don't get an MRI because if you don't go to them, you don't find out anything bad. <laughs> they, they want that state of, of ignorant bliss. But folks, the doctor is not bad for showing what the problem is. The MRI, you know, if something's wrong and I go to the doctor and he says, you know what, you're going to need to get an MRI. Now that MRI might show me something I don't want to see. It might deliver some news that I, I, I don't want to hear. I don't want to hear that I have cancer. But the MRI is not bad. I had the cancer before I ever got to the MRI. The MRI is just showing what is there, right? 
Well, folks, that's kind of what Paul's talking about here with the law. When you get to the end of verse 7 and 13, he, he talks about, uh, about I, you know what? The law tells me not to covet. And then I covet. So it's this sin within me. And, and it almost sounds like, well, it's the law's fault. No, it's not the law's fault. You see, Paul's problem, your problem, and my problem is that within us is a rebellion against God. That rebellion is there before the law ever gets here. And that rebellion will bring us under the judgment and wrath of God. So when the law comes and it throws those rules out there, then our rebellion rises up. Our rebellion rears its ugly head. And now we can see it. Just like that cancer on the MRI. Now we can see it. We know there's a problem. We know something has to be done. If the law didn't do that, we might not ever know that that rebellion is there living inside us. So the law is not the problem. The rebellion in us is the problem. And in Romans chapters 1 through 6, we learned a lot about that rebellion. We learned what, what the nature of man was like and, and how we cannot make ourselves holy. We can't do what we need to do to bridge the gap that is between us and God. But we learned that God loved us, didn't we? We learned that not by our work and effort, but by faith in Christ's work and effort, we can be declared righteous. A legal term. Legally declared right before God. And you know what? A lot of us in this room, we might have been four or five years old. We might have been 27 years old. But there came a point. Maybe it was in this room. Maybe it was in another church. Maybe somebody was sharing the gospel with you. But all of a sudden, it clicked and you got it. The law showed you. You, you came to the end of yourself and you realized, man, I've got to turn from sin. I've got to turn from self-effort. And I've got to put my faith and trust in Christ. And we threw ourselves on the grace of God. Do you remember that moment in your life? Has that day, has that moment happened for you? It's an awesome moment. But you know what I think a lot of believers do? We get up from that moment where we fully trusted in God. We get up from that moment and really with really good intentions, we roll our sleeves up. Man, I, I'm really going to get up. Give me another shot at those rules. Boy, I'm going to show you how holy and good I be because I, I love God now and I really want to make this right. But what ends up happening is the testimony of Romans chapter 7. See, we came to Christ by grace. But then we get up from there and we start living in our own effort again. You know, I, I read a number of things on, on Romans 7 here, trying to understand who's giving this testimony. I believe it's Paul's testimony. I, I, I've heard some people say, well, well, gosh, whoever would be writing. I mean, in my Bible, right above this, this chapter or this paragraph, it says struggling with sin. Does your Bible have paragraph titles? Paragraph titles aren't inspired, by the way. We come back in and write those. Mine says struggling with sin. Man, whoever this is, man, they're just losing the battle. They're struggling with sin. There's nothing but sin in their life. This is either an unbeliever or this is a very immature believer. Now, I disagree with that. I, I don't believe this person is an unbeliever. And I don't believe they're an immature believer. I believe this is a testimony of a mature believer. Because only a mature believer is going to say in verse 14, the law is good. Only a mature believer has come to the end of himself and said, man, you know, in and of my own effort, in and of my own power, I am miserable and wretched. Verse 24. This person isn't, don't confuse this person with somebody who's thrown in the towel. Don't confuse this person with somebody who's justifying sin and saying, well, it's not really my fault. You know, it just is what it is. No, this person hates sin. This person hates what sin is being and doing in his life. 
He wants the holy life for which he was saved for. This is not an immature believer. This is somebody that realized, you know what? In my strength, I'm wretched. In my moral power, I'm miserable. There is nothing in and of myself that I can do to make myself holy. And folks, to me, this is where the real beauty of the law comes to life. Because it's the law that brings me to the end of myself. It's the law that makes me realize, man, there's nothing I can do in and of myself to be right with God. Now, a lot of us came to that end when we were approaching the cross. And we threw ourselves on His grace. But as we got up from the cross and began to walk with Christ, we began to do it back in self-effort again. We pick back up the law. The law is going to make me right. I'm going to keep this law and I'm going, to, I'm going to get to God this way. I'm going to live the holy life this way. Folks, let me go back to Romans 1.17 again. I read that a moment ago and I want you to see something. This good news tells us how God makes us right in His sight. This is accomplished from, what's that phrase? Start to what? Finish. There's a process there. There's a, it's not a process of getting saved. We're saved at a moment in time. But it's a process by which I pick up that salvation, by which I pick up that declaration of holiness, and I begin to live it. And I begin to day by day become more and more like God. From start to finish, that is accomplished by my effort? No, by faith. And see, I think we know, especially I think, I would say in Southern Baptist life, You know, we're pretty evangelistic. We're really about the start. We're really about that moment when somebody prays to receive Christ. Whether they come down an aisle or whether they're talking with somebody, a friend. That that moment when they're forgiven of sin, they're adopted as a child of God, heaven becomes their future. It's a glorious start. We're all about the start. But folks, knowing Jesus is not just for the start. Knowing Jesus is not just for the day of salvation. Knowing Jesus is also for the life of sanctification. The life of growing in that salvation. Knowing Jesus is not just to fix all those places that I'm not like God. Knowing Jesus is for all this time going forward that I want to grow and become more and more like God. You see folks, we trust Him for salvation But then we have a tendency to pick it up and, okay, I'm going to make it happen for sanctification. And that leads to the testimony that we've read right here. A testimony of frustration. And what it's saying, folks, is it never stops being about faith. It never stops being about grace. It never rolls back to being my work and effort. I think a lot of us, we got that for salvation. We don't realize that's for every day. Knowing Jesus... Knowing Jesus is the goal. Folks, I think a lot of this, I think this testimony is fixed. He's got the right path. He's got the right path. It's it's the wrong purpose. And see, I think what happens is we pick up these rules and the rules become our purpose. My purpose is to keep these rules. My purpose is to check this off. My purpose is to get it right. And we don't. So then we end up frustrated and guilty. And so we try again and we fall again and we end up with frustration and guilt. And pretty soon what is driving our life is frustration and guilt. What's supposed to be driving our life is grace. What's supposed to be driving our lives is His his mercy and His patience and His forgiveness. In other words, it all becomes about knowing Christ. Now, what does this look like? 
It means instead of getting in the car to come to church today, I didn't, I didn't get in my car to come to church today to make an angry God happy. I didn't get in my car and come to church today because I thought this would make me a better person. I got in my car today and came to church because it's a chance to know Him. It's a chance to know Him. It is a chance to know His love. It is a chance to express love. And that becomes the dryer. Not obeying rules. Folks, this passage, nor am I downplaying obedience. Obedience is how we express love. Obedience is incredibly important. But obedience is not the goal. Jesus is the goal. Knowing and loving Jesus is the goal. And it's not just coming to church. It's everything we do. I'm sitting here in a moment. Oh my gosh, do I lie here or do I tell the truth? I'm going to tell the truth. Because telling the truth is going to give me my best opportunity to, to know Him. My, my best opportunity to grow in a loving relationship with Him. Now it's love. It's grace. And I'm depending upon Him. The rules can't empower me, but love with Him, love for Him, depending upon Him, that will empower me to tell the truth. So folks, as we walk through a week, it's not, boy, how good can I be for God this week? How many rules can I obey this week? How good can I do at this? But rather, as I walk through each moment, I'm thinking, you know, I wonder as I choose this TV show or don't choose this TV show, which one gives me the best opportunity to love Him? You know, as I think about whether I'm going to click on this website or not click on it, what gives me my best opportunity to, to know and love Him? You know, as I decide whether I'm going to forgive that person, because they don't deserve to be forgiven. They're, they're not changing. They're meaner than they've ever been. But will forgiving them or not forgiving them, what will be my best opportunity to know and love Jesus? What will lead me to most trust Him and depend upon Him? See, a love begins to define and drive all that we're doing. A relationship. You know, we've heard that cliche, haven't we? Jesus called us into a relationship, not into a list of rules. Let's pray. Father, we come before you this morning. And Lord, I think a lot of us, we, we do love you. We, we want to obey you. We want a life that clearly communicates that. And Lord, we get caught up in trying hard and we're, we're trusting ourselves. We're trusting what we know about the rules and, and how we're trying to keep those rules. And we go back to trusting our own effort. God, may we realize it never stops being about just your love for us and our total faith in that love and our throwing ourselves on your grace, depending upon you, depending upon you to help me tell the truth right here. Not so I can make you happy because you're angry, but I'm trusting you to help me do the right thing because I want to love you and I want to enjoy a relationship with you. Lord, I pray that as we walk throughout this week and we consider the importance of obedience, that God, you would show us where we're depending upon ourselves. Show us where we have a mindset that, oh, I've done this and this and this today, so God must really be happy with me. God, let us see that that's just a faith in self. It's the opposite of faith in Christ and it will lead to frustration and guilt. God, let us see that in our lives this week. And may we return to you. 
Return to knowing you and loving you, trusting that, trusting you not only for that moment, that great moment of salvation, but trusting you for every day after that to help, to help me to be obedient, to help me to grow in that obedience and realizing that I'm always operating, not from my goodness, but always operating from your grace. Oh Lord, we need your help in this. We, we so easily slip back into a trust of self. Help us with this, Lord. We pray in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.